Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Goodwill Meditation Group webinar. Today is September 27th, 2023, and we're so glad to have all of you joining us here today for this event. Uh, as many of you know, we meet here today to take part in a group meditation on goodwill, but also to discuss some of humanity's major problems with the aim of coming to a deeper understanding of what they are, their underlying causes, um, both in a material sense, but also their underlying causes in consciousness. And in doing so, we help to build a thought form of solution, which really um, encompasses both the material and the spiritual and bridges between them. One of the objectives of World Goodwill is to promote a um, worldwide recognition of the power of goodwill through education, as well as through programs promoting subtle actions which draw on the power of thought. That is most notably meditation, but also prayer as well. Our aim is to cultivate a universal spiritual perspective of the future, which is founded on the fact of divinity transcendent in nature, um, but also imminent in every human being. And this positive vision is based on the recognition of both the power of the human mind and the soul and humanity's potential by virtue of its innate divinity for great good. We believe this, it is this innate spiritual potential which is adequate to solve all of humanity's problems, but it must first be awakened and it must be directed with right vision, with a selfless heart, with keen intellect, and of course with the power of will, that will being the will to good. The Goodwill Meditation Group unites in meditation actually every Wednesday at noon in your local time zone, and we invite all of you to link up each week and to join in wherever you are. This webinar, however, meets on the last Wednesday of each month and seeks to support the weekly and regular work of the group and also we meet here to uh, introduce new members to the work and also just to you know, discuss topics related to goodwill and world affairs. So I'm here today with a very special guest, Daniel Perel, who actually spoke at the World Goodwill Seminar in 2021. Some of you who attended that seminar may remember him. Daniel is the um, UN representative at the Baha'i the Baha International Community's UN office since 2011. His areas of work include social and sustainable development, global governance, and climate and the environment. He currently co-chairs the Coalition for the UN We Need. And in 2010, Mr. Perel also received a Juris Doctor from the University of Virginia School of Law. He also holds an MA in Law and Diplomacy from the Fletcher School at Tufts University. So we're really glad to have Daniel joining us here today. And after the meditation, Daniel will be reflecting on the recent high-level week at the UN, which um, included the very important UN, um, excuse me, the SDG Summit. And he will also share some of his very good work with the um, Committee for the UN, excuse me, the Coalition for the UN We Need and the Summit for the Future, which is scheduled to take place next year. So before before we, we proceed with the rest of the webinar, let us just take a, a brief moment of alignment um, and silence, followed by the sounding of the mantra of the new group of world servers, which will appear on your screen.
May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May we fulfill our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and right speech. So I'd like to share just a few brief thoughts on goodwill in general and to sort of help introduce the theme a bit. Uh, we'll move on to our meditation and then um, we'll have Daniel come on and uh, we'll get to hear from him. There will be time at the end for um, questions, to pose questions as well. So if you have any thoughts that come up during the uh, interview I'm going to be doing with Daniel, you can type them in the chat or, you know, just jot them down and we'll be able to uh, get to some of you for sure before the end of the meeting. I wanted to also make a brief announcement uh, I'm, I'm into as soon as we started, but we've now enabled um, translatable captions on the on the web, on this on all of our webinars, actually. And so if you go to the captions icon, you can click to show captions and actually display them in the language of your choice. Um, and you can also have it produce a transcript for you as well. So those of you who for whom English is not your first language may find this uh, very useful. So today there is a sense which is held by many that humanity is on the precipice of something which is new and unknown. This is both um, exciting on one hand, but also on the other hand, for many, um, provides uh, apprehension or worry. Um, but those who are able to rise above the sort of vicissitudes of the negative side of the emotional experience, among them there are a growing number who are able to employ the intelligent and the discriminative mind to see, to create, and to lead humanity into the future. This group is able to work with vision, to see the present as it is, and also the future as it can be, and they aspire to creatively work out the path to get there. In the Alice Bailey writings, this group is referred to as the new group of world servers. They are a worldwide group which spans the full diversity of humanity, composed of men and women from every race, religion, nation, and ideology. Its members do not all think the same nor hold the same opinions, but all are committed to the ideals of goodwill, universal brotherhood, and international unity, and seek to see these ideals work out through active service in some field of human endeavor. There is no outer organization of this group, and members are distinguished by certain basic and universal values which they not only hold, but seek to embody in their life and through their work. In this way, they are able to diffuse these values and ideas into human thinking generally, thereby uplifting others with their vision of the way forward. Today, and really for many years now, um, the intensity of the work of this group is being focused, though of course not limited to, the United Nations, which is worldwide in its scope 
spanning practically every sector related to international development and global governance. The UN was created primarily to save humanity from the scourge of war. Uh, but to do so, its purposes have expanded beyond international peace and security to include also the protection of human rights, supporting sustainable development, and upholding international law. It's important to be clear that one of the foundational principles of international law is the principle of, an, of, of uh, national sovereignty, which the UN does not and cannot contravene. The more practical of the UN is therefore not so much to tell nations what to do or how to do it, but really to provide the right atmosphere in which states can cooperate to solve any number of international issues. It is therefore much more a center for the harmonization of national interests rather than a supranational authority. But at its heart is a recognized need for a better world, a vision for human betterment, and the idea that cooperative action is the best means of attainment for these ends. One of the most consequential examples of international cooperation at the UN is in its development work. In 2015, all UN member states unanimously adopted the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. And at the heart of this agenda are 17 interrelated goals, which address humanity's most fundamental material and social needs, ranging from poverty to education to equality to climate action to peace and security to dignified work and more. The SDGs offer a comprehensive approach to reinvigorating the shrine of human living and to developing a more equitable, just, and inclusive world. At their heart, they are therefore very much in alignment with fundamental spiritual values shared by all the world's religions. While religious doctrines may differ, at the heart of all of them, I think it is safe to say, is a belief in love and goodwill, the will to do that which is right and good regardless of the difficulty or the cost involved. Goodwill is a bridging energy. It is a creative energy. And it brings human relationships into alignment with divine intention. It is essentially love in action. And today, more than ever, it is needed to guide us down the difficult and narrow path of right action and right relationship. Goodwill guides us between and through the many competing voices and ideologies, giving us a basic spiritual direction and a vision of the way forward. Goodwill, therefore, is not just a mode of action, but it is a great transformational energy. And when this energy is rightly expressed through human thought and action, it has, as I said, a great transformative, transformative potential, notably the, the power to transform human relationships. And this, this power to transform human relationships is so significant because it is fundamentally human relationship that underlies our entire social structure and the political, economic, and social institutions on which human civilization is built at every level. Meditation and prayer are both means by which we can tap into this universal source of goodwill and become channels through which it can um, 
transform attitudes and outlooks. Um, through meditation and prayer, goodwill is able to permeate our identities and our very being and thereby pour through us um, to others. The meditation on goodwill, which we will do in just a moment, um, I wanted to say has both a vertical component that is with aligning with the source of divinity and also a horizontal component wherein that inspiration and illumination of the higher contact are distributed outwards to others. And it is through the merging of the vertical and the horizontal that meditation really becomes a means of, of not only discerning right action, but also of inspired creative thinking of combining a right and sober perspective of the present with a positive and magnetic vision of the future. So meditation has fundamentally to do with truth, with love, and therefore it is therefore very closely allied with the right use of the mind, um, but more importantly with the cultivation of wisdom, which is so much needed in our world today as we build forward into the future. We look forward to hearing a bit about this focus on the future of the UN from Dan shortly after our meditation. So now, without further ado, let us um, begin our meditation on goodwill. So we begin by linking up in thought with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Goodwill Meditation Group. We reflect upon the fact of relationship. You are related to your family. To your community. To your nation. to the world of nations. And to the one humanity made up of all races and nations.
we use the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact to do service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Now we reflect upon our own and humanity's relationship with all those beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart. The spiritual hierarchy of saints, of rishis, of bodhisattvas and masters, honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. Imagine that you are standing together with the group, within the heart center, within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. For some, this heart of love is known as the Christ. Other faiths have other names for the one at the center. Maintaining that high point of contact 
Let your thoughts reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active. Sound the affirmation of love. In the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. We visualize the energy of love flowing from the hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships. Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships, and restoring peace on earth.
Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems, and healing all cleavages. Linked in thought with the men and women of goodwill all over the world, sound the adapted version of the great invocation. Say it with deliberation, with full commitment to its meaning, knowing that you are radiating its potent energies to humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose Guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power Restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone, for your 
dedicated focus and alignment during our meditation today. So I'd now like to invite uh, Daniel Perel to turn on your video and your unmute. Hi there, Dan. How are you? Yeah. There we go. Okay. Much better. Yeah. There are two of me. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So Dan, thank you so much again for, um, for coming on the webinar today. It's great to see you again. I know we, uh, you presented at the good, the World Global Seminar back in 2021. And, uh, many people may not know this, but actually we work in the same building. I believe you still work there, right? Yeah. We work in the same building. And so I actually do see you, see you around occasionally, uh, running to and fro. So. Yeah, excellent. Glad to have thanks you. For, thanks for letting me crash uh, those reflections. It was really, really centering, really lovely. I Thank appreciate you. it very much. Thank you, Dan. So, Dan, we've asked you to come on here to just reflect on last year, last year's, last week's uh, high-level week at the UN, which had all sorts, all sorts of events. Um, I'll just list some of them actually for our audience. They have some sense of the scope of what's going on there. The event was preceded by the SDG Action Weekend, which was a two-day-long um, event. There was also the preparatory meeting for ministers ahead of the 2024 Summit of the Future. There was the SDG Summit, which was very significant. There was the World Economic Forum's Sustainable Development Impact Meetings, the Secretary General's Climate Ambition Summit. There were three related, uh, three health-related high-level meetings on universal health coverage, pandemic preparedness, tuberculosis, and there's also a very important high-level dialogue on financing for sustainable development. All of this in addition to tons of side events and also all the, you know, uh, ministerial and uh, high-level speeches given at the General Assembly. So, I wanted just to start by asking you, it seems to be there's such a, I mean, there's always a lot going on during this, this, this opening of the General Assembly, this, this first week, but it seems there's really a profound sort of acceleration and intensity of activity going on. And I just wanted to get your sense of like, what is sort of, what does this all mean? Is this a positive development? Is there some danger of like the major points getting lost in all this maze of activity? Or perhaps like sheer scope of what the UN is trying to accomplish makes all this for an activity necessary. Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. And I, I firstly would like to say, uh, that I am not in a position to offer any authoritative perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to, to read it as best I can as well. Um, but you know, we, we often find ourselves thinking about these, these very questions. So when I got this, List of questions, uh, secret, I'll let you in on a secret, which is that, um, Michael was kind enough to set a couple, send along a couple draft questions. And I sent it and I thought, man, this, these are really great. And I shared with some colleagues here. Um, but I didn't do any preparation, uh, because I find that when I don't prepare, I often speak a little bit more, uh, frankly, but you all can tell me that that's untrue. Um, but yeah, it, it is rather frantic during every UNGA week. And you may know that, uh, initially in our common agenda, it was proposed that this year also be the summit of the future year, uh, that will take care, take, take place next year. So that summit was also proposed to happen in 2023 in among everything else that, that took place. Um, and the only thing that I can, I can sort of reflect on, and I don't know if this was all pre-planned, uh, and so it's kind of a coincidence, but my, my own thinking about why so many activities this year and, and what is it that, that we can take from it is that 
you know, as, as I think we're all quite aware and everybody across the street is aware, multilateralism as it's understood there is, is sort of in a state of crisis. Uh, and there are so many problems that the world is facing. And yet the United Nations is so under resourced to solve those problems. Um, and so as soon as one of them sort of takes center stage, those who are advancing others say, well, why, why not this one? So you have tuberculosis and COVID and climate and peace. It, like, how do you say which one's the most important? You know, it's, it's as if the patient of the earth and of humanity is sick with every disease at once. How do you decide which one to treat? Well, let's just try to do them all. Um, and, you know, I think that that's, that's a reflection of, of mapping sort of out, uh, present conditions on outdated systems. So we have this idea of a high level week every year and everything needs to come up during the, this is the, the big show. Uh, so everything has to take place now, but, but I think that, that we can all recognize and, and certainly in your, you know, opening framing and, and even in that reflection that, the way that we have solved problems in the past is ill-suited to the demands of, of today. And so rather than having sort of a one health track that has its meeting at the appropriate time and in the appropriate place and one climate track, the, sort of the, the General Assembly has become everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that this may be a little bit of storm before the calm. Um, that is to say, it, we have to go through this to recognize the limitations of it. Like a child learning to walk, it, it has to fall down, mm-hmm. uh, before it, 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 you know, that child can, can figure out how to rebalance and, and adjust. And so I think this is part of, you know, the, the urgency of the moment finding expression during high level week. And I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a good thing or a bad thing uh, as a reflection on the United Nations. It just is a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, this is all, all it can do. So it does it when, when all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, <laughs> but, but we have to figure out, uh, ways of changing some of these underlying systems and processes and, and understandings of, of global order in order for us to have uh, a little bit more focus at these times and a little bit more, um, you know, centralization of what it is we're, we're really trying to do. Mm-hmm. Now that's. Excellent response. Can I call you Dan? Or do you prefer Daniel? You can call me whatever you want. Okay. Thank you, Dan. That hey, was a, hey, you <laughs> also works. <laughs> Dan, that was, that was a great response. Thank you. I think it's definitely, uh, it appears to be during a transition time, which is transition times are always full of turmoil necessarily, but out of that comes something hopefully, uh, you know, grand and new and just right for the future. Um, I wanted to ask you also just one of the, one of the, main foci of the of the week, I think was really the SDG summit, and that's a really important one, really, really central to the core of the UN's work. I was wondering if you could just talk uh just just briefly about that. Uh, you know, why is it why is it so important? Um our audiences generally know what the SDGs are because we've 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 spoke about those before on this webinar, but perhaps why why is that summit so so important? Why is it why is it so central? Yeah, so the way that the, the the systems around the sustainable development goals have been established is that every four years, there is an SDG summit, a sustainable development goal summit. The first one took place at, that's four years since the establishment of the SDGs. So you had the establishment in 2015. So the first summit was in 2019. And that was, I think, a, a pretty big deal in terms of the, the global agenda uh, it was still sort of the first quarter, the first third of the, the process. There was a really nice report that was created about some of the transformational shifts. 
things were going at, you know, sort of on track ish. Um, you know, I think that there's a, a legitimate debate to be had about whether or not the SDGs provided sort of a, an inflection point, which is what one would hope with a new agenda, that the, the trajectory upon which we humanity was changes a little bit in some way as a result of the SDGs. But more or less, it was it was going as planned. You know, it seemed like poverty elimination was kind of an inevitability. I remember calling it the World Bank had said at that at the time of the adoption of the SDGs that, you know, poverty eradication is going to happen anyway. Uh, given the timelines and the standards by which we measure it. Of course, we all know what happened later in 2019, uh, early 2020. Uh, that is where the 19 and COVID comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that really sort of set us off track. So the second in this series of SDG summits, the first in 2019, the second is in 2023. And this was really the moment where we said, okay, we had this crisis and a number of others in the intervening years since 2019. What is it that we have to do? I mean, I was reading today, 12% of the SDGs have any shot of, of being on track. A number of them are even going backwards. You know, what is the, the, you know, come to whatever you believe in moment that, that we need for humanity. Um, and then there'll be another SDG summit in 2027. Uh, and then who knows what's going to happen in 2031, 2030? Who knows? At that point, they didn't think about dividing 15 by by the right number. Uh, they just went every four years, we have the SDG summit. Every year, we have the high-level political forum. Honestly, they didn't even think through that. So the first year in 2019, this is a total aside, they didn't even know if they were going to have an HLPF at the, the same year as the SDG summit. Yeah. Or whether it was three years HLPF and one year SDG summit, three, one, three, one. Uh-huh. They decided that both occur. <clears throat> Who are they? Yeah. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, this was that, that moment. And, you know, it really was, uh, a moment of, of profound reflection. Um, and one of the critiques that I suspect, um, we might offer and, and, you know, this community might offer of the SDGs is that what seems to underlie them is a notion of progress that is grounded in material advancement. Um, so regardless of kind of the, the, sorry about all the abbreviations. I will high level political forum is the, sorry, the HLPF is the high level political forum. It happens in July every year. It's a review of the sustainable development goals, the SDGs. And then there's the UNGA week, the United Nations General Assembly. Um, so I'll, I'll be more conscientious, Maria, of the, of the, uh, abbreviations. Um, but, uh, that all to say that I was reading this, um, critique of, of the weekend and I can't recall if, if this is exactly where my train of thought was, but, um, it was essentially saying that, that, yes, that the underlying assumptions of the sustainable development goals are very much based in material advancement. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, a goal on growth which also is is just a couple goals away from uh the goal on on uh life on land life underwater and and climate change so if we have a, an understanding of growth as material growth essentially consumption based then it's really hard to see how we're going to to protect life on land life on, there's some internal contradictions yeah um moreover i think questions of motivation uh were arising a little bit more this year than in past years so what are the motivations behind uh, high-income countries and, and banks uh, that may not align with the motivations of, you know, a, a standard human? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds a little bit glib to say that way, but if the motivation of the bank is to make money 
And, you know, that then lower income countries are perceived of as risks. And so their interest rates would then have to be higher. Mm-hmm. But if our motivation is justice, then the low income countries, they should actually have lower income rate uh, interest rates because they're in greater need. And maybe mm-hmm. the high income countries should have higher interest rates because they can afford it. So mm-hmm. it, it sort of depends on what is motivating, what is the underlying motivation of the banks and of the, the nations. Um, but there's yeah. also mm-hmm. a bit of a taboo. Sorry to, to go on a little bit long. Michael, no, keep going. Yeah. There's a bit of a taboo on questioning the SDGs. Uh, and this has to do, at least in my mind, with the, this idea that there's no I in team. Um, and we have to do our best with what we've got. And I, I think that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. That is to say, I think we can say, you know, there are legitimate critiques to be leveled against the SD, against, in quotes, the, the SDGs. Or maybe a better way to put it is lessons learned about perhaps missteps in the articulation of the sustainable development goals. But that isn't to say that we aren't going to play the game as hard as we can mm-hmm. um, and try to achieve the SDGs. The, the challenge comes when if you start to question the orthodoxy, uh, you are seen as a bit of a naysayer. So I wonder what will happen in the coming years as we think about whatever the next development agenda looks like, uh, what lessons we will actually learn from this. But for the time being, the, the conversation is very much about um, us having decided on a set of goals and us, us being the nations largely, and us being unable to meet those goals. And then what do we do at this moment to make it so, as, as they were saying across the street, the second half is actually the determining factor in the, the winning or losing of any game. So there's a lot of sports analogies, especially because they are goals. But, you know, the first half is never – yeah, the first half is never when you you figure out who wins or loses. It's always the second half. So let's get out there and, and yeah. uh, there's some, some good to that. But I, I fear that it's you know the game is a little bit uh, to be very frank, a little bit rigged in favor of of those who have many privileges already, my, myself included. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that I don't I don't um, benefit the spoils of of mm-hmm. history. So benefit from the spoils of history. So, you know, that, I think that notion has to be sort of shifted in the in the conscience and the conscience of both the decision makers and and somehow the member states as well. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good good po- very good points you you bring up, and I wonder if you know the, the devil really is in the details. And it seems now that we're you know halfway there, and pretty soon in four years we'll be almost all the way to twenty thirty. It seems like the, the when you finally get down to the point of okay, well now let's let's meet every marker. Okay, well now we realize there are a bit of conflicts, but as you say, you know there is going to be something to come after, and so the the next summit in four years will just be two years away from 2030, and surely at that point will be a time for planning for you know post 2030 as well, which is also very exciting. Um, but I just, I know we have to end like right at one o'clock and a few minutes before actually. So, cause you have another webinar to get to. And I'd like to also share the invitation to our, our, our group for that if they'd like to attend. Um, but I did want to get to asking you about your work with the coalition for the UN we need and the summit for the future. Um, more specifically, could you just speak a little bit about what that is? Um, you know, why is it, why is it, uh, why is, why is it important? Sorry, I was paying attention. I'm just writing to the host of the next meeting to, to suggest that I'll be about five minutes late. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so what is it? So the Summit of the Future, it, this is a part of the um, the Secretary General's sort of large offering 
after the occasion of the 75th anniversary of the United Nations, he authored a report called Our Common Agenda, in which he suggested that a summit of the future should take place in 2023. As referenced earlier, member states decided to kick that down to 2024. Um, and I think I think that was a, a wise choice for reasons that we've all already articulated, um, but also because there was a, a, a war uh, on European soil, which sort of intervened uh, after our common agenda came out, um, thus changing the conversation quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, it, one can say anything about uh, the degree to which a European war should change things versus an African or an Asian war. But the, the fact of the matter is it, it has changed the, the tenor of the conversation. Um, so that all to say, you know, this summit of the future, the idea is, and I think this was very wise of the Secretary General, to really center the deliberations of the United Nations on the future that we wish to see. Uh, that is to say, rather than look at all the temporary, like the momentary crises, important though they are, maybe we need that moment every so often to say, what is the future we want? How can we articulate sort of an agreement about that future? And then how can we work towards it? And I, I would I would echo his sentiment that without a shared vision, it's really hard to know where to move forward. Um, you know, I used this terrible analogy of trying to get to a trying to get to San Francisco, for example, from New York. You know, some people might say, oh, we have to take a plane. Others might say we drive. Others might say we walk. There are a bunch of different ways to get there. But regardless of which way it is, you don't know unless you've agreed on where you're going. Um, and in fact, once you've agreed on where you're going, you may have to go the wrong way first to go the right way because mm -hmm. the airport might be uh, further east and San Francisco is west. So there's some like there, there are some steps that need to be taken and we, we can agree on those. But if we don't know where we're going, it's really hard. Um, and so essentially, the, the secretary general said we need a summit of the future. We need what's called a pact for the future. That will be the outcome document. Um, it needs to focus on things like a global digital compact, the role of future generations, uh, and a number of other key issues, space and all of this. And then 12 or rather 11 policy briefs were then issued that can, that can sort of feed in to this, uh, outcome document of the summit of the future. What I'm particularly excited about is, uh, as mentioned, the idea of, of articulating a different vision of the future or any vision of the future. Um, many of the articulations of the future are cast in the negatives. So ending gender inequality, eradicating poverty, ending disease, all of that is important. But what is the actual proactive thing that we're looking for? You know, healthy lifestyles and, you know, a flourishing community and the opportunity to contribute meaningfully service to others. These sorts of things, I think, are not very well articulated um, at the moment in terms of what what it is that we want to see. Uh, and so this is this is uh, an opportunity, whether or not member states take it up, who knows, but it's a, at the very least an opportunity for a, an important dialogue around uh, around these issues. So that's that's why we're engaged. The coalition has you know thousands of individuals and NGOs who are thinking critically about uh, the future of the UN, the future of multilateralism. Many of them are um, super thoughtful and and wanting to shift the whole narrative others are super thoughtful and wanting to continue the path that that we're on now uh and and i think there's benefit to both and it's it, we would be wise to learn from both i see there are many comments in the chat box so while you ask the next question i'll read those okay great there's so much i wanted to get to and we've totally really running out of time and i'm kicking myself now i should have just not done any intro whatsoever i 
forgot you have such a rich, uh, rich, uh, wealth of knowledge to share from Dan. So I'm sort of kicking myself now, but, um, I did share in the chat summary of the secretary general's policy briefs, which I think are really visionary. I think they really bring in something of, of the new. It's, it seems it has a bit more of a different vibe than, uh, than, uh, I've heard from the UN before. So I just would invite our participants to check those out for themselves. Um, but I wanted to get to, um, and I would like to invite anybody now actually to raise their hand if they'd like to ask a question as well. Um, but Dan, just one last question. If you, if you could reflect on, um, you know, we're, we're a overtly spiritual organization here at World Goodwill. And I know the Baha'is obviously uh, are as well. And so I wonder if you could just speak about how the, um, spiritual teachings underlying the Baha'i faith, um, how do they underlie and motivate your work at the, at the, maybe personally, but also maybe, um, Broadly, the 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 organization you represent as well, yeah. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm very happy to do that. Let me f- mm-hmm. let me uh, first answer that, and hopefully that will also answer this uh, finance question that Matthew Martin raised in in the chat box. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, the Baha'i International Community, our office represents the worldwide Baha'i community, which is a a, a faith um, that believes in the oneness of religion, the oneness of God, and the oneness of humanity. So these three onenesses undergird uh, everything that we do. And the reason that we have to start there is because inherent in that assumption of the oneness of humanity uh, is this shift, a profound shift in how we approach others. Um, and it's very similar to actually the reflection that, that we started with. So I have actually very little to add except amen. Um, but, you know, this, this is a, a relatively new concept in the history of humanity. That we are all, I mean, of course, there are practices that go back thousands of years, Buddhist teachings and others about the interconnected nature of, of humanity and the natural world. But that we are one family on one, one planet is, is really a profound shift in the dominant discourse that, uh, that we are confronted with, particularly in, in the West. Um, and so if, if we think that we are one family on one shared homeland, it actually requires a different kind of posture of us. It requires that, you know, while retaining principles of subsidiarity, where decisions should be taken at the lowest possible level, there are also the, the thoughts of, what did I call it the other day? Super, supersidiarity, where you also need to think, what are the decisions that need to be taken at the highest possible level? When we have a digital space that's shared by all, the literal space that is shared by all, uh, the environment that is shared by all, these are questions that can't only be solved at the local and national level. And yet our governing systems at the moment are organized around a principle at the UN level of state sovereignty, which is super important for many things, but not for all of them. Mm-hmm. Other things need a different vision. And so recognizing this, this sense of global solidarity, the oneness of humanity, we, we really have to think practically and also spiritually about what this means in terms of our posture. And, and this idea of motivation, which I think is what, what a lot of this comes down to, it's like a replacement of motivation. The the dominant discourse um, across the streets and in many of our you know daily lives is that wealth accumulation is sort of what it means to be successful. When you say my child is successful, this person success, it often means that they have a a big paycheck and a big house. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have like loving relationships with their with their family and they know mm-hmm. all of their neighbors. That mm-hmm. to me would actually be a really interesting definition of success. Mm-hmm. Um, but this all to say that, that as we're, we're rethinking what success and progress looks like, and we have no choice but to do so because we can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. As we're doing it, we have to have a real 
understanding at a deep level, whether you call it spiritual, moral, ethical, I don't really care because that's between you and, and whatever. But what I care about is that, that we recognize the dignity, inherent dignity and worth of every living being on earth. And that's a fundamental shift in terms of the practice that we see across the street. And it's a very spiritual shift because it's hard to say you should be motivated by generosity, by trustworthiness, by justice, not by political power, accumulation, and, you know, personal security. And mm-hmm. these things are not unimportant. Like, I don't want to dismiss these as, as irrelevant because we do need personal security. We do need course, some yeah. control and, and all of this, but it is to think critically about it. And it's a very spiritual question. And I think unless we tap into this, it's going to be very difficult to, uh, as Matthew is referring to, raise the finance necessary. What motivates us? And I actually put a little equation. I don't actually, I did this this morning. I don't mm-hmm. know if you can see there. I put this like little equation on my wall and it's meant to be a motivation about climate action. So Mm -hmm. you have no need to like zoom in on it, but I was thinking, what are the factors that inhibit us from taking climate action? And what are the factors that encourage us to take climate action and it's motivation. So what motivates us to, to behave in a certain way? If we can tap into that, then I think that we will get the funds necessary. We will actually want to, to give to a fund that will help those in need elsewhere. It won't be a matter of like the state hostilely collecting funds. Um, and one last very small thing I'll say, my uncle currently just moved to the Netherlands. And he said, Dan, one of the most profound differences between the United States and the Netherlands is that in the Netherlands, people like paying taxes because they recognize that their taxes go to the well-being of their children and, and of their communities. It's a vast difference to what we see in the United States. So it is possible it's just that we have to sort of get past this notion of money as the ultimate goal. And I don't mean to harp so much on that, but it is yeah, yeah. a real underlying factor across the street. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's that's so such a perfect answer, Dan. Thanks so much. And it's very much in alignment with a lot of um, the Lucis Trust's work on on the right direction of money and the spiritual direction and evocation of money. And that's a whole other topic, of course. Uh, but you expressed it very, 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 very well and, and, and in a way that's very, you know, just so uh, at, at the heart of the, really the need. And I think people are realizing that with all the focus on financing for development. But as you say, it's sort of a, or as you suggest, it's sort of a material focus, whereas in fact, there's something more fundamental about the, about human nature that needs to be brought out perhaps. Um, but Dan, I know there's, we had really wanted to get to some questions, um, but it's, two minutes to one. And so I'm going to uh, let you, let you go and just give you a few minutes before you're. No, no, let's, let's let David speak. His hands oh, up okay. To okay. Day. It's up to you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Da- uh, uh, David, go ahead. David Trice. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, David. Yep. Oh, thank you. Uh, I have a question, Daniel, uh, about the UN security council. Do you think we need to be a little bit more resolute? In actions we take against countries that are invading other countries that are not their own? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two levels to answer that. One is, yes, uh, I think we, we do need to to be very loyal to the that dimension of, of reality. Uh, but I would also say that there might be a limit there because we have to think about collective security. So when you have a nation that might be severely mistreating its uh, inhabitants, when you have a government that may be severely mistreating its inhabitants, there may be a case to, to be made that state sovereignty actually has limits. Uh, so, 
I'm not speaking about Ukraine in the slightest. I'm speaking about some other countries uh, that that may uh, where where we might be able to say, you know, starving millions of people is is not consistent with the UN Charter, and perhaps we should consider some action. What I think about the Security Council is that we we should even question that why we have it. I don't know of any other government in the world that has created a a separate council that is independent, not subsidiary to to like a general assembly of sorts, but that is independent and has the only legal authority. It's a very strange arrangement. And we know that it's it was, you know, a product of that moment in history. But I think now we should be rethinking it. And, you know, some of the underlying assumptions like uh, most powerful countries, that is the, the biggest or the countries with the most money should have the most say. But maybe the Security Council should be dominated by countries that are the most peaceful the ones that don't have a military or have the lowest crime rates, those that are actually demonstrating peace maybe should be the ones that are on the, 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 the Security Council. I'm not saying that that's a policy recommendation per se, but we just have to reframe why we're thinking in, in a certain way that I, I would argue is kind of 78 years old, um, when in fact we, we have plenty of lessons to be learned. But the short answer is with what we have, we certainly need to be far more resolute uh, I think we need to to recognize when you know nations overstep the the bounds literally the boundaries of of the UN charter we we have to take action but that doesn't just go for um the invasion of one country into another it goes for a number of other issues uh and I think we we should be thinking critically about what collective security looks like uh you know if one neighbor invades the home of another the police come in and they say hey you you can't do that um, and I think we need to be resolute in that way. Um, but even within a house, if one person is, you know, injuring somebody else in that house, then we hope the police would come for that too. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want us as humanity and, and even as this group, which is very spiritually minded, to be asking these questions about, you know, again, the future we wish to see and what these sort of institutional arrangements might look like. And it may be really uncomfortable. You know, we may actually be arguing for things that, that we don't feel great about. Because the short-term pain may justify long-term peace, but that doesn't mean that there isn't suffering in the short term, which is yeah. always a challenge to be advocating for. I'll stop there. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, there's always the importance of compromise. We don't want to be, you know, there's a tendency sometimes, and especially in the civil society sector, to be very sort of righteous in one hand, which is good. Um, but at the same time, you know, compromise is essential to get anything actually done. And it's important to recognize that. Um, Dan, so I, unless you object again, which I, I hope you won't, but I will let you get on now to your, to your other meeting for which you're giving some keynote reflections. So I know it's very important. Um, I see in the chat, many people do want you to come back. So I, we'd love to have you back. We have somebody already scheduled for next month, but perhaps later in the year, um, for this monthly webinar, we'd love to have you on again to, to speak on, on, on the UN and on your work. So Dan, thank you so, so much. Um, is it all right if we invite the audience to this other, this other event? Sure. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it'd be fine for them to attend. I will say that the person who organizes it often puts a ton of speakers in. So keynote doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean, (laughs) but it's great. The speakers are always really thoughtful and and interesting. So sure. Hop over. It's not, is it, is it for civil society affiliated UN? Yeah. 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 So it's sort of a closed event then in a way. This is a no, very general civil society is in like not member states. Oh, oh, so any civil society group. Okay. Yeah, anybody, I, I think it's fine. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll send the link then and, uh, anybody who wants to can, can join in. I'll send a, 
a little bit, uh, I'll send the flyer as well. So you all have some idea of what it's about. But thank you so much, Michael. And thanks everyone for your, your patience and generosity with me. Thank you, Dan. Have a good day.